Citizen Reporter number 357, 15th of November, 2010. Eu sou a palavra lavrada e aberta, eu sou a raiz. Eu sou a garganta... We want to keep track of citizens who have integrity, courage, willingness to go against the grain in the face of tremendous cost. I cannot contend that I have always been right or wise, but I have attempted to pursue the truth with some diligence and to report it. I'll just begin here. Um, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We are in Paris, France, and we're sitting in a cafe, so you will hear uh, background music, and that should just make for a nice, light background. Uh, I've hum come here to Paris, and I've had the great pleasure uh, uh, to have been recommended uh, someone very, very uh, kind and interesting and He's invited here today on the program, so I'll first of all say hello to Gerald Mendez. Hello. Uh, thanks, thanks for joining me. Uh, now, the background to this, some people may have been following over the past week or so. Uh, we most recently on the podcast had uh, Olivia discussing uh, Aristide de Souza Minch and this, this fantastic figure in history uh, of the world, really. Sometimes I think of it as Portuguese history, and then I realize... This is a history of the world, uh, when you look at where everybody is and where everybody was from. Um, and so, uh, Gerald, you happen to be the grandson of uh, Aristide de Sousa Mint. Um, so this must be a topic that you, you're often talking about, uh, especially over the last few years as people try to uh, rehabilitate and, and, and teach this history. Uh, so this is not the first time that you're being interviewed on this topic. No, actually... Uh um, it's uh, it really got active uh, since 1987 when uh, the uh, rehabilitation really started taking place. Uh, at first, uh, a lot in the States, in the United States actually, with uh, uh, the International Committee to Honor Listed Susan Mendes, which was uh, created there by uh, a few persons, including some of my uncles. And... Uh, One of the first commemoration events uh, took place in Washington, actually, at the, at the White House with uh, Mario Suarez mm -hmm. in uh, 87. Uh, the family um, gathered there, and uh, at that time, uh, Mario Suarez announced that uh, uh, a project of law was uh, uh, at the National Assembly to be voted that would rehabilitate uh, my grandfather yeah. posthumously into his functions yeah. uh, and so on. And that happened a few months later. Yeah. So, yeah, Olivia. Since then, actually, yes, yeah, since then, uh, there's been lots of uh, commemoration events uh, that here in France, yeah. in Portugal, and Israel, and uh, elsewhere in the world as well. I'm curious for you, uh, growing up, how this story came to you. I mean, how you were told, because I'm sure it wasn't all at once, uh, but in bits and pieces. Uh, now, you yourself, were were you born in Canada, in Quebec? Yes, I was born in the Niagara Falls in Canada. Yeah. My father uh, was the second the youngest uh, 
son of uh, uh, Aristide and Angelina. Uh, he was born in 28, came to Canada in 1948 after his mother passed away. He was the last uh, children, or son, uh, to leave Portugal, actually, at the time. So he immigrated to Canada, he married my mother, who was Canadian, and I was born and raised there, yes. And so, uh, at a certain age, uh, uh, when do you come to realize, and, and what do you realize at that time, uh, that is quite, uh, among the other things that your family is, is different and talented, every family is you know, unique in their own ways, but uh, what are your earliest memories of, of discussions about who your grandfather is, and, and, and also how your family ended up in Canada? It must have been. Right. Uh, actually, uh, I think I heard of, uh, for the first time in 1966 when I was uh, nine years old. Uh, my father, as well as his brothers and sisters, were invited uh, to go to New York to meet Rabbi Kruger, who uh, was part of the story, actually. And uh, he had invited the uh, children to uh, tell them his story of and to honor um, his friend Aristide de Souza Mendes. So yeah. he wanted to tell his children uh, his story, in fact. And at the time, I remember my father coming back from that trip, who was, uh, he came back with some um, relief, if you want, because uh, life had been difficult for him since 1940, since these events. Um, after which, of course, my grandparents fell into poverty, and then uh, uh, my grandmother died in '48. My grandfather in 1954, in a sad way, yeah. uh, clear in the, their mind with what they had done. They had no doubt that they, my f grandfather, with the support of my grandfather, did the right thing. Uh, nevertheless, they were uh, they lost everything they had, including their children, uh, which was uh, their greatest loss, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, um, that was a sad end, so my father, when he came to Canada, never saw his family or his parents again, and in 1966, so he, he went to New York, met with Rabbi Kruger, this was also the first time he was seeing again uh, some of his uh, brothers and uh, a sister as well. And um, at that time when he came back, that's the first time I heard about the story. Yeah. And a bell goes off. As and a bell goes <laughs> off. <laughs> Maybe, right, yeah. And, uh, I mean, was it much discussed at home? Did, did, did your father say uh, that there was going to be more happening, that you would, you know, at what point did you start to sort of trace the history and, and you yourself at a certain age start to go back to some of these places? Actually... Um, um, that we, we heard that story, the, the story from our father and his words, and uh, but uh, we were on with our lives in Canada. Uh, my parents were uh, trying to raise their family, yeah. doing their best to, to work and to raise a family. So uh, besides that story where we were told what he had done, uh, it's sort of a. Um, stayed uh, in a sleep uh, uh, stage and uh, later on much later on around 1985 mm -hmm. that's really when things started 
coming out a lot more. My uncle John Paul, who lived in California, um, one day wrote a story of his father uh, in a little uh, a newsletter of his church. And that went out in the local press. And there was this uh, guy called Robert Jacobitz who saw this, who was uh, Jewish. And he said, this story is amazing, uh, but he wanted to find find out more about it, so he called uh, John Paul. Uh, need to say also that uh, my uncle Sebastian, who also lived in the States at the time, uh, also did a lot to try and tell the story of his uh, father and my aunt Joanna. So they were all trying to do something. But this Robert Jacobitz uh, really uh, took it a um, little further on by bringing it to the uh, large public with politicians, with the newspaper, the New York Times, the, public, the story was published back then, and uh, that started connecting. Somebody from Bordeaux read the story in the, <laughs> in the New York Times, and then they wrote an article in the newspaper in Bordeaux, and then somebody saw it there, and then these uh, uh, entities started growing around the story. Comité uh, Français en hommage à Aristide de Souza Mendes, the International Committee in Portugal, in, uh, in the United States, and then that grew into Israel, mm -hmm. and eventually in Portugal with uh, Mario Suarez, mm -hmm. who's the man actually who, who who's one of the men who... Um, uh, is responsible for ha having my grandfather rehabilitated uh, totally. Did you, did you know many of your aunts and uncles? It seems like over time you, you, yes. you met them. Over time. Over time I met them. Um, it, uh, today, uh, every now and again, with these reunions around Aristide Souza Mendes, it's a nice, uh, we have these nice opportunities to, to, to meet together. Cousins from all over the world. Uh, there's not too many uncles and aunts left, but there's one here in France, an aunt, and there's another one in Arizona, uh, an aunt as well. Uh, the other, there were 14 children, so there's two left. Plus, Marie-Rose, uh, no, well, including Marie-Rose who's alive, so there's two. Marie-Rose is from the second marriage. And... Uh, so it's funny because, um, in a way, Salazar wanted to um, have my grandfather's family forgotten. And uh, today, um, they're not only are, are they not forgotten, but they, although they're in uh, dispersed in the world, they still get to get together yeah. and to communicate and stronger than ever. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard actually Olivia was saying that the, through some of the, the usefulness of Facebook or other uh, yes. modern web communication tools, there's a lot of talking and, and even gathering. Uh, yes, yes exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, and so at some point I found the, the, the text that you had written uh, making a summary of a, a trip that you made in 2007 uh, uh, where you, you met some of your cousins for the first time and together you went from France to Portugal. Uh, how did how did that happen at that time? Especially because it was 
pre-Facebook, pre uh, a lot of the... Yes. Well, no, 2007. Uh, how did it happen? <laughs> it's interesting because I, I came to France here. I'm Canadian and I came to France in the 2005. And uh, a few months after I was here, one day I received an email uh, from this uh, girl called uh, saying, uh, Hi, I'm Natalie. Mm-hmm. I live in Brussels. And I think I'm your cousin. <laughs> so uh, uh, I, I wrote back. Uh, you might be. <laughs> maybe. Uh, let's. Uh, uh, I wasn't sure if it was a joke or, or what, but then she says, uh, I'm the grand, uh, great-granddaughter of Aristide de Sousa-Mandé. So I figured, hmm, so she must be the daughter of a cousin. What cousin? And then she, she was the daughter of Marc. And Marc I had never met before. He was one of the only cousins I had never met, actually. Well, there's, there's maybe three or four I have never met, but uh, he was one of them. And uh, so uh, we said, well, then let's meet. Uh, so we went one day. My aunt from Pau, Marie-Rose, came to join us in Paris. We went to meet them in Brussels. And... So we, we met for the first time, and it was great, great. We, we found some resemblance. We found, and uh, like uh, 65 years uh, after these events, uh, we're discovering each other. And uh, we had so much fun that we decided, uh, Natalie said one day, um, we should gather with more cousins. And then it went on, uh, why don't we... We do a, a, a commemoration trip, a, a, a souvenir remembrance trip uh, for, um, and uh, let's invite all the cousins who can come and uh, from Paris to uh, Bordeaux, Bayonne, and Portugal. Mm-hmm. And then the so the idea was born. The messages were sent out, and. Uh, Many accepted right away. Let's do it. Yeah. And then the Comité Français heard about this as well. Okay. Manuel Diaz in uh, Bordeaux. Yeah. And when they heard about it, they uh, sponta- spontaneously offered to try and help <laughs> the organization of the trip from uh, Bordeaux, Bayonne, Andaye over there because they had a lot of networks and everything so there in the Bordeaux there's a bus we met at the bus for the first time and then we we they, they took us to uh, through a historical tour of historical 1940 historical yeah, yeah. of uh, the uh, Residence uh, Préfectorale where Pétain de Gaulle and uh, um, the president of back then um met for the last time before France surrendered. That was there, a few, few hundred meters away from the Portuguese consulate. Um, then we were taken uh, to the Conseil uh, General, and we met a lot of people, including historians, and that was great. We saw the places, we, could, uh, we saw the consulate, we saw... And, uh, if, and there in Bordeaux, they, they knew this story well. I mean, yes, because this committee for the past 20 years really got it going. Mm-hmm. And they also took us to Andaille to show us the bridge. They took us to Bayonne to show us the consulate also where he came out 
that he said, uh, let's bring down the table rail on the street. We don't want refugees to waste time in the stairs. Uh, and uh, uh, so um, there, there were even some plays by actors. We were... Uh, it was great because we not only did we meet all together, but we heard the stories, we saw the places, yeah. we, we felt, we cried, we laughed, and then we got on the bus and went to Portugal to Cabanas, yeah. where we saw the house. Uh, we went to Coimbra University, where he he had studied, and then in Porch in uh, Figueira de Foge, <laughs> also, uh, and everywhere there was something organized to an event. Yeah. So uh, that was a unique experience for all of the family. Must be interesting. You're already describing, like, when you're in Bordeaux, you're meeting historians, people who know a lot about uh, the events of that time, and, and to some extent, your family, some you know older generations of your family. Um, at some point, you you met an author who I think even before you had met him, he'd been working on this topic. Uh, Manuel Diaz is his name, right? Yes, he's he's. Uh, Manuel Diaz is not an author. He's, uh, but he's uh, the one who he's uh, the one who created the Comité National Français with somebody called the Père Bernard. They figured, uh, well, this story happened in Bordeaux, and uh, with this Portuguese consulate, and Manuel is Portuguese background and lived in Bordeaux. He said, "We got a nobody knows about the story, so we need to." To, to, to research it, to find out about it, and then to tell uh, people about it. But so at some point you, you met him. I mean, you've met him many times now. Yes, yes. Manuel Diaz today is a is a friend. Yeah. A very close friend. It uh, must be like meeting someone who was a friend of your grandfather's who can tell you things about Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Manuel Diaz is a... Um, he, he's one of the persons who he knows my grandfather a lot more than I mm. do than mm. so a lot of us do uh, he's researched it, talked about it and uh, the uh, people who wrote books about it went to see him um, and so on and so forth mm. in 1997 there was also the Procès Papon here in French, Papon, Maurice Papon he was uh, the uh, préfet who uh, at the time in the uh, 42, 43, uh, saying uh, he was listening to orders, obeying orders, arrested uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of Jews to put them on the trains, uh, saying he was... So he was uh, trialed in 1997, and there's uh, this uh, journalist from the Monde, José Alain Fralon, who was uh, covering these trials, and... Uh, during the trials, um, when uh, Maurice Papon was saying I was listening to orders and I didn't know about the concentration camps, somebody also said, well, how is that possible when another man disobeyed orders because he knew what was going on in concentration camps. So that, so Maurice, so uh, José Alain Fralon, this uh, journalist, uh, researched the story and wrote a very interesting book, which eventually, from which a, a movie was made as well. One thing about I find interesting, uh, it's only the beginning for me, uh, meeting people and learning about this, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm of a Portuguese family, and I know, although my family's very open, but there are Portuguese families where if you want to talk about the past, bad or good, a lot of people don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Don't, let's not, let's not, you know, let's not go back. And 
the more I hear about your family, although there are so many of them, but uh, it feels like everybody's very open and willing to to talk about it, to hear from other people, to explore and to share. Uh, and that, that strikes me as a very unique thing about your family. I mean, obviously they have a very good story that deserves to come out, but I, I could still imagine in some families people would say, leave the past in the past, but not in your family. What I find interesting about uh, the story, well, yes, it's the story of a man who was uh, courageous enough to uh, disobey orders of Salazar, uh, Circular 14, which was saying no visas to refugees and certainly not to Jews. And so he disobeyed these orders. He um, was also a visionary in a way that in 1940, Portugal was a neutral country. Uh, after Aristide de Souza Mendes was uh, arrested and trialed to Portugal in his defense, he was talking about the enemy in 1941. Well, when the uh, German, uh, the Germans were not perceived as enemies oh, at the okay. time. Uh, so he, he was a visionary in, a, in his own way. Uh, we keep on learning these stories of how it happened, the trials, and now it's taking an even new and uh, very powerful dimension when we're meeting now with refugees and descendants of refugees. We hear about their stories as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. how they got there, and all those stories connect in a way, and it sorts of makes it makes it a non-ending story and as you said before it's not a story of a Portuguese in Bordeaux it becomes a uh, worldwide story sure. there's probably tens of thousands of the descendants of people who were saved who are living today and who have never heard about the man who was uh, who somewhat gave his life to, to help these refugees so as this goes on, it's uh, it's exciting and interesting, yeah. and it's not a story. We don't. The family doesn't see it as a story that belongs to the family. It belongs to humanity. Um, the the family um, doesn't want to uh, um, own it either. The the family wants uh, the the story to be heard of, of course. But in the, for the right reasons. Yeah. yeah. This one's a little harder. Um, I, I'm always looking for uh, connections, you know, lessons learned, and, and also avoiding repeating mistakes. And I think in, in today's world, we still repeat some mistakes and some we don't, thankfully. Um, do, you, do you watch the world today and, and do you feel like that was a different time and so... Nowadays, that could never, nothing like that is, is going on. Or do you look around and see, like, uh, we haven't learned that much? Because I think a lot of people look back on histories like this and they'll say, well, it was a different time and thankfully we had some heroes at that time, but nowadays uh, it can't compare. Uh, do you look at the present and, and use the past as a guide? Of course, it's not the same age. Um, the context or uh, could be different but uh, man behaves 
the same way all the time. Yeah. And uh, today there's still uh, some uh, r- refugees uh, yeah. in the wars, in, in countries where there's war. Uh, there's still uh, people we're probably not here, some heroes that we're not hearing today about yeah. as heroes. Who don't and follow orders necessarily, right? Exactly. So, so that is all happening all over again. Huh. I, I think there's uh, probably unheard of heroes and uh, heard or unheard of uh, um, dictators as well, yeah. and uh, people who want to become emperors and uh, <laughs> who who want to take the world for their own. Yeah. Did you did you did you find that you were uh, when you teach your children? Do you do you teach them more? Not necessarily to to always go with the crowd or, or to be sort of the ones who, who question everything. I mean, more so than most families. I, I, I know that I am, for some reason, I don't know what happened, but uh, everybody could say green and I will say red, even when situations <laughs> where I don't have to. Uh, yes. Almost excessively. I yes. have no idea where that came from in my case. Um, but uh, Yes, I try to... Know, well, I, I don't even try. I don't think I get on the bandwagons uh, myself uh, uh, too much. I... Um, I like to be independent of thought and uh, independent of uh, the way I live. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't even a question. That was more of a, just a, yes. something we enjoy. <laughs> yes, yeah. but I, I agree with you. Yeah. Well, Gerald, uh, that was the, the, the main part that I would like very much for Great. people to enjoy uh, hearing, and I thank you for sharing it with us. And um, well, thanks, Mark. It's yeah, a pleasure. And I'll share some some new links. Uh, you've handed me some some books actually that I'm going to look through and. Uh, the more I learn, the more I share, so that's uh, also useful. And when I come back to Paris, uh, I'll come see you again. Sure, yeah. sure. It's going to be a pleasure. And if you go to Bordeaux, yeah, so you can meet with uh, oh, yeah. Manuel Dierch. And, uh, yeah. When you go back to the States, I strongly encourage you to meet also uh, with, uh, yes, Olivia, of course, uh-huh. and uh, Michael, Sheila, my cousins, Harry Osterreicher, who's the um, son of a refugee yeah. who discovered the story uh, just last May and then came to meet us here in June okay. a very interesting uh, man about my age I think and uh, um, who had an interesting story and of course Lissy Jarvik that I mentioned yeah and, it seems uh, like now when I travel I can you can go everywhere you'll this. find somebody okay. right. well thank you very much <laughs> you're welcome Some final notes on today's program. First of all, one big final thank you to Gerald for doing this interview and being a part of this podcast, telling his family history. I had a great time uh, sitting there with him for a good uh, few hours. And of course, in the near future, more Soza Minj content as, as it comes to me. I keep getting surprising comments and emails from names I didn't expect. And so that just means that we can hear more in the future about the life and legacy, especially the legacy now, of Sosa Minch. 
And of course, uh, the other themes will also be coming in the near future right here on Citizen Reporter. And that website, of course, citizenreporter.org, underreported news, global concerns. I'm looking into many issues always at the same time, trying to bring them to you in a different way than the mainstream media, with more care, with more time, and with a critical eye, but an interested and open eye. Until next time, thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.